they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 16th of February. And you never know who you're going to get on this show anymore. <laughs> I'm back, I'm back, and now Terry's babysitting the grandkids. So um, we were both sick. We took our turns being sick, and now, thanks be to God, our, our health is um, improving quite, quite rapidly. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant that in the same spirit we may be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you to all the radio stations that do pick us up, and I appreciate that. For all of those of you who have the app, remember to listen to us on the app. Even if you're not listening live, you can listen anytime. And um, you can schedule yourself a time once a week to do that. I know I was doing Bible study here at the chapel on Tuesday evenings, but our responsibilities, Terry's and my responsibilities for our grandchildren have become quite intense. And so Tuesday evenings are not working for me to do Bible study. But all those who were coming to the Bible study every Tuesday evening, you could set that side, that time aside and listen to a couple of podcasts of the, the Bible with the Barbers. You get, you get your Bible study every week. So um, remember the Bible, it's, the Word of God is living and effective. It's very, very important. And um, it's more than very important. And the Word of God is first and foremost a person the second person of the blessed Trinity who became man and lived among us. You know, you think if, you know, people like to say, well, you know, God doesn't care. It doesn't matter to God. You know, he's just, you know, there's that saying, oh, all is God is in his heaven and all is right with the world. Well, yeah, God is in his heaven. And you know what? Heaven is where God is and God is everywhere. But the deal is God became man and he lived among us. He does care. He cares so much that he became man. And he lived among us. And not just did he live among us. Jesus Christ really left himself here under the appearance of bread. Jesus is not present in the bread and the wine. You know, it's not that, that bread becomes his body. It's, it, it's, bread is changed. Bread, bread isn't his body. The bread is no longer existing. It really is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his risen, ascended, glorified state in the Holy Eucharist. Not because I said so, not because the Catholic Church teaches, because Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word of God made flesh, said so. And he cannot deceive nor be deceived. He said, this is my body, the very God who spoke the word that established the world. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by his word, by his word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. By the way, to those who mistakenly say 
that there's no definite article in the Greek, you're wrong. There is a definite article in the in the Greek. If if um, they wanted to say, because some people translate that the word was with God and the word was a God. Well, now you've made him, you made God many gods. Okay, now you're saying that there are multiple gods, whether you like it or not. The the actual conclusion of your of your translation is that there's more than one God. There's not. There's only one God. But there are three divine persons in God. This is the greatest mystery of our faith. God is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. And so, we want to listen to the Word of God. It is a living and effective. Living and effective. It pierces more surely than the double-edged sword. It can divide joint and uh, bone and marrow, joint and sinew. Okay? It divides. And what do you want? What does God want to divide us from? He wants to take us away from sin and back to himself. Because in the beginning, man allowed himself to be deceived by the devil. And he coveted a knowledge that God was supposedly keeping from him. This is the temptation the devil used. Oh, no, you won't die. You'll become like God, knowing good and evil. You yourself can choose good and evil. You don't need God to tell you. Don't we give in to that same temptation? Well, here we are. Are we ever, ever going to talk today about the title of the show? You never know with this lady. Here you go, guys. Too many go-go's and not enough come-comes. And pardon my spellings if I didn't spell it right. That's actually a direct quote, okay? I'm borrowing from the smartest man in the room, Right? Bishop Sheen. Bishop Sheen talked about prayer and he talked about the necessity to come before we go in our relationship with Christ. So I want to read to you here a passage from the gospel, the gospel of John. This is actually in um, John 1, uh, verse 29 and following. The next day, He, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove, from heaven and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have bore witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. The Gospel of the Lord. 
So, what is Jesus' first word to his disciples? Come. And yet, as Bishop Sheen points out, in our world, we have so many go-go's. We want to go. We want to go. It's all about social work. It's all about doing this and doing that and the other thing. And, and no, actually, it's not. It's about coming and sitting with the Lord. You remember um, Martha and Mary and Jesus comes to their home and Martha's serving and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and just listening. And Martha comes to him and says, Lord, aren't you going to tell my sister to get up and help me? And he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Mary has chosen the better portion and it won't be taken from her. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She has come and she's just absorbing his presence and his love. She's allowing his love to penetrate her being so that it can change her. And Martha's just all busy, 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 which, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, somebody has to serve the meals. But oftentimes when we're the one who's stuck with serving, we feel sorry for ourselves and we start complaining about the people around us. And now we're no longer doing it as a service of God. I mean, what Martha was doing would be beautiful for Jesus. If she would just served him calmly and without complaining about her sister and without pointing fingers and just said, I have this opportunity. I'm going to serve this man, Jesus. She didn't know yet that he's the son of God. I don't think she fully knew at that point. But to come and sit at his feet and listen and learn. You know, after Jesus feeds the crowd of 5,000 people, um, he tells his disciples that they need to go away to a quiet place and rest. And then he says, um, and he dismisses the crowd. And what does he do? He goes up on the mountain to spend the night in prayer. So Jesus teaches his disciples, first they have to come, they have to pray. And remember, his disciples get to spend three years with him before he actually sends them out on mission beyond anywhere in Israel. Because they spend three years with him in his public ministry, sitting at his feet, learning, spending time with him, being with him every day. And, and then eventually he will send them out. There will come a time when he will send them but first they have to prepare. It's interesting in the Catholic Church, we have religious, you know, religious communities and uh, religious communities of priests, brothers, lay brothers, nuns, priests and, and lay brothers, and then religious communities of sisters. And, and when you enter a religious community, you don't enter and take your final vows, the day of entrance. You enter as a postulant. You're asking you enter asking, is this the place where God wants me to be for the rest of my life? And you spend a time of possibly six months to a year, and you're praying and discerning and asking while your superiors are praying and discerning and asking, is this person meant to be part of our community? And then after your postulancy, oh, you're all ready, right? No, you're still not ready. Then comes the novitiate. And in the novitiate, you're learning the way of life of that religious community. And then after the community, oh, comes the music, right? <laughs> I hear the music. So we will take a break and we'll talk more on the other side about too many go-go's and not enough come-comes and what we need to do about that. And especially now during this time of Lent when Jesse and Anita were talking about that at the end of Jesus 911. And thank you, Jesse and Anita. And um, so don't go away. We're going to be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Please join and ask all your family and friends to listen. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barber. <laughs> Terry's not with me today. I think he was there. He stood in for me last week because my, my voice wasn't still reliable. I'd been sick for a week, so um, it kind of hit my larynx hard. <laughs> But I'm I'm back here now, and um, I think I can talk for an hour. <laughs> so here we are. Too many go-go's and not enough come-comes. We still live in a world where there are too many go-go's. We want action, 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 action. But we don't want to stop and pray. We don't want to spend time with the Lord. It's funny. You know, a workaholism can be an excuse for taking a long, hard look at our interior self and all the obstacles in us that stand in the way of God's work. We're sinners. We're all sinners. We need repentance. And that's, you know, in this passage that I read from you, from John 1, 29, um, from verses 29 through, um, was it verse 39? 29 to 39, where John points out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Well, what does this mean? Well, the Lamb of God, this is, it's pointing out Jesus' mission, his mission. Remember, in the Exodus, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, the Passover, what was the Passover? The Lord was going to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, and he had sent nine plagues. And every time there's a plague, Pharaoh says, okay, you can leave. No, you can't leave. Okay, you can leave. No, you can't leave. And he won't let the people go. And Moses says, I, they just, I just want to take them three days into the desert to worship God. Because they're starting to worship the gods of Israel. And they, excuse me. They're starting to worship the gods of Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. And they're starting to, I, to identify with the idolatry of Egypt. They're allowing themselves to be dragged down into the idolatry of Egypt. Instead of bringing the Egyptians to the God of Israel... To God, the true God, the one God, the only God, they're beginning to worship the false gods of Egypt. So the gods of Egypt have gotten into their hearts. So God wants to take them out of Egypt and purify their hearts. And Pharaoh won't even let them go for three days. He said, no, we can't do this. So they just, every time there's a plague, the Pharaoh just doubles down and makes it harder and harder. And finally, God said, okay, fine. I have a final plague and he will not only let you go, he's going to beg you to go. And you can, you know, as you leave, take all the gold and the people will give you all kinds of stuff. So the Passover, a lamb was to be sacrificed. A year old lamb without blemish, none of its bones were to be broken and it was to be roasted whole. Now that Passover lamb was a prefigurement of the true lamb of God. God's plan for the future God already knew that he was going to send his son. He had promised that in Genesis 1, excuse me, Genesis 3.15, when he promised to send the Messiah. And he knew he was sending his son. It wasn't like God was trying to figure this out as he went. God had a plan the whole time. When he made creation, he had a plan from the beginning. From the beginning, God had a plan. That's why he made creation, was to share his life with us. Everything in creation reflects something of God to bring us knowledge of God, to bring us closer to him, okay? 
Paul says that they could have known of the existence of God just from the beautiful and good things that God had made. That God exists is not an article of faith. Anyone who wants to know that there is a God can know it. And anyone who denies that there's a God is not intellectually honest. They're not thinking right. You know, human beings don't know how to think by nature. We have to learn. We have to train the mind. We have to discipline the mind to think logically, to think rationally and reasonably. And oftentimes we come up with very specious arguments. They're not rational or reasonable. They just suit the way we feel or we, they suit the way we live. Socrates pointed this out to the Greeks in Athens when they put him to death. They put him to death because they said he was being impious, because he said there is one God, and that God is transcendent. And in order to know him, you have to live a disciplined, virtuous, moral life. You can't live a life of debauchery. You can't live a life of indulgence of the flesh. You'll never come to know the true God. And because you don't want to live that disciplined, virtuous, moral life, you have invented gods who are far more immoral than you in order to justify your own immorality. Interesting. The Greek gods, I remember when I was in college, the second time I had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and I I actually almost threw up. It was so sickening, the behavior of the Greek gods. It was so immoral. It was so debased. It was so debaucherous. It was actually physically sickening to me to read it. And this is what Socrates was pointing out. You know that you're not, that these gods that you invented aren't really gods. They, but you make up these stories because this is the kind of life you want to live. So Zeus is running around and, you know, supposedly he's married, he's a married, you know, God. He's a God with a with a goddess as a wife, but he's not faithful to her. He's being unfaithful and the gods bicker and they argue with each other and they have jealousies and they start wars among men over their jealousies. And it's like, and why do you do this? You make these gods up because this is how you want to behave. And nowadays, what do you hear in the new age movement? And you hear people say, well, I'm, I'm God or, you know, um, you know, the religions that teach that you know, everybody's going to become a God. Well, I don't know if it's everybody, uh, how that works. Or if it's just the men are going to become gods, and then I don't know what happens to the women. It's an interesting situation. Uh, but according to Romans, if you want to know him, you can know God from the good things that he made. You can know that he exists. Now, to know him in his interpersonal life, to know that he's a trinity of persons, that the Son of God became man, yes, you need faith for those. But that God exists, you do not need faith. You need to use your right reason. You need to use your reason that is not being ruled by the desires of your flesh. Socrates pointed this out, and he came to this knowledge through the use of his reason, and he taught others. He taught others to think right, to question, and to, and to live in a disciplined life that's virtuous. In other words, to give up things that are sinful. We know it's a sin to kill and steal and lie and cheat. We don't have to be taught that. We know these things are a sin. It's like, you know, unfortunately in our world, 
the crime of killing the innocent, whether they're newborn or unborn, newborn or longborn. It's still a sin. It's a crime. You don't kill innocent people. In a war, when innocent people are killed, it's called a war crime. And people are tried for it after the war is over. We've seen that in the 20th century. So to know God as he is in his interpersonal life, we need faith. But to know that there is a God who made everything and is the source of all things, the source of all goodness and beauty and truth and, and goodness and all that is good and beautiful and holy and true, we don't need faith. We can know that through the light of our reason. God has given us the ability to reason, and we can know it. And this is what Socrates pointed out to, to the people of Athens when they were going to put him to death. And they put him to death for this because he was teaching that there was one God and they had to give up their immorality. They didn't have to give up believing in God, the true God. They needed to give up the false gods whom they had invented to justify their immoral living. And don't we do the same thing in our world? <laughs> we worship sports stars. We worship movie stars. We worship musical singers. We, we glibly listen to their music or they watch their movies or, and we watch their lives and we don't think about the consequences. We don't think about the true meaning of what's behind it. Now, I remember when I was in grammar school and we had the, I was in Catholic school and our teachers actually, one of our teachers in eighth grade, she had us buy a book called Pop Rock Lyrics. And she had us think about the words of the songs that we were listening to on the radio. Not the music in and of itself has a message of its own, by the way. You don't need to be told whether a piece of, piece of music is sad or happy or angry or scary. The music itself communicates something to you without you ever saying yes or no. You say yes or no to the message. You have to do that. You can choose to say yes or no to the message. But disordered music can predispose you to choose evil because disordered music is disordered. So it predisposes you. It enters into your soul without your permission. So you have to make a conscious effort to resist it and say, no, I'm not going to listen to disordered music. The proper order in music is the melody gets pride of place because the melody appeals to the intellect. So it has the highest place in the music. The melody, the pure melody. That's why Gregorian chant is the highest form of music. The harmony appeals to the heart, the emotions. And that's fine as long as that's subject to the intellect. It must be subject to the melody because the intellect is always what has to guide us. We don't put our emotions in charge. Or we shouldn't. That's not a fully human way of acting. Okay? Remember, animals have emotions too, but they don't have an intellect to guide their emotions. Their, their instinct, they go by instinct. So they don't have an intellect to guide their emotions. And then there's the beat. And the beat appeals to the animal instinct. And so the, the beat should always be subject not only to the melody, but also to the harmony. Because the animal instinct should never, never, never be allowed to control man. That's why it's always a sin, a grave moral evil, grave moral evil to get drunk or to be intoxicated, whether by drugs or drink. To allow yourself to be intoxicated to the point where your reason is no longer directing and guiding you. Whatever you're using as a form of intoxication, 
That is a grave moral evil because your reason should always be guiding you and directing you in all circumstances. And, and I would encourage everyone to read Pope Benedict's letter, um, God is Love, because he talks about eros and agape and, and the relationship and the very fact that you know, the Catholic Church isn't a downer on, on pleasure, but pleasure must always be directed and guided. Our desire for pleasure must always be directed and guided by our intellect. And that's when man becomes truly free. When he allows pleasure to be the guiding force, when he be, allows pleasure to become the action, that, the, the thing that moves him, you know, when, when pleasure becomes the end in of itself, that's debauchery, okay? Pleasure is a means to an end. It's not an end in of itself. You know, gluttony, we don't eat food just for the pleasure of eating. And yet we live in a world that encourages that. We don't have conjugal relations just for the pleasure of conjugal relations. No, there's a greater purpose. I hear that music again all the time. That's always just coming up. I'll be back with more. Please invite all your family and friends to join us here on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday in Lent. We're preparing for Easter. We want to look at the Lamb of God and what his sacrifice means. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. First Friday in Lent. It's February the 16th. So, the Lamb of God. We were reading from the the Gospel of John, chapter 1 verses 29 through 39, where, first of all, John the Baptist points out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And of course, this, is, this points to the sacrificial dimension of Jesus's mission. And that was, that was prefigured in the Passover Lamb, which I spoke about in the last um, section of this, this show, the Passover Lamb. And you can read about the Passover Lamb in Exodus 12, 1 through 27. And then it also, that Jesus would be the lamb is prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Remember the prophet Isaiah, where he talks about the suffering Messiah as an innocent lamb, like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep before the shearer, he opened not his mouth. And he was slain for the sins of others. So look at Isaiah 53, 7 through 12. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 608, and again, I like to point out that this catechism is so rooted in the scriptures. Our former pastor here at Our Lady of Grace Parish, Father Glenn Botton, who was a convert to the Catholic faith, said that even as a Protestant minister, he was using the Catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons because it's such a beautiful commentary on scripture. So number 608, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. After agreeing to baptize him, after John agreeing to baptize Jesus, along with the sinners, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and pointed him out as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By doing so, he reveals that Jesus is at the same time the suffering servant of Isaiah who silently allows himself to be led to the slaughter and who bears the sin of the multitude and also the Paschal Lamb, the symbol of Israel's redemption at the first Passover, 
Remember the first Passover. And again, that's in um, <clears throat> Exodus 12. So you can read Exodus 12 there. And there are many other passages, Isaiah 57, 3 and 12, and then Jeremiah eleven nineteen, And you have the Gospel of John 19, 36 and 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ's whole life expresses his mission to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, Jesus says that in Mark 10, 45. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So we have here the Lamb of God. And when the disciples follow him, when the disciples of two disciples of John follow him, and Jesus says to them, they said, they, he turns to them and he says, what do you seek? Rabbi, where do you stay? And he says, come and see. So again, we want to come to the Lord. We want to see. We need to spend time with the Lord in prayer, in fasting. And, you know, Jesus, before he started his public life, right after his baptism, what does he do? It tells us in the gospel that he's, the spirit drives him out into the desert. And how long is he in the desert? For 40 days. And he eats and drinks nothing. Where do we get the idea of a 40-day land, of 40 days to prepare to enter into the passion with our Lord? Because Jesus fasted for 40 days before he began his public ministry. Okay? <clears throat> now, how do we do this? How do we um, enter into this? How do we draw near to our Lord? Well, I want to read to you today from Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 9. It's the... The first reading for today's Mass, Friday of the first week, uh, for the beginning of Lent here, the Friday after Ash Wednesday. Thus says the Lord God, cry out full-throated and unsparingly. Lift up your voice like a trumpet blast. Tell my people their wickedness and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and desire to know my ways like a nation that has done what is just and has not abandoned the Lord their God. They ask me to declare what is due them, please to gain access to God. Why do we fast and you do not see, afflict ourselves and you do not take note of it? Lo, on your fast day, you carry out your own pursuits and drive all your laborers. Your, your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. Is this the manner of fasting that I wish? Of keeping a day of penance? That a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This rather is the fasting that I wish. Releasing those bound unjustly. Untying the thongs of the yoke. Setting free the oppressed. Breaking every yoke. Sharing your bread with the hungry sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them, and not turning your back on your own. 
Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wounds shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. So through the prophet, God is telling the prophet, first of all, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to tell the people their wickedness and their sins. Now, when was the last time when you had a priest get up on the pulpit and go through the Ten Commandments and say, this is the first commandment. You know, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. So if there's anything in your life more important than God himself, that's idolatry. That's a sin. You know, remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. You have to go to mass on Sunday. Unless you're sick or taking care of someone who's sick and there's no one to relieve you, you have an obligation before God. And this isn't because God needs our worship. It's because we need to worship God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we use God's name like it's just another word, another expression of whatever, by the way. Some people use it as an expression of, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Some people use it almost as a curse word. God's holy name. So, and then the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. When do we have priests getting up and telling us, you know, the things that this world says are okay are not okay. The world is saying, look, you, you, you can work seven days a week. You don't have to go to mass. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to worry about praying. You know, oh, God understands. You know, um, you don't have to worry about honoring your parents. I mean, after all, what do parents know? What do older people know? They're just, you know, old fuddy-duddies who don't want you to have any fun. You know, just just enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want. Oh, killing people? Well, you know, whatever. We, we really wouldn't want everybody going out into society and shooting every other person on the street they see. But, you know, you know, if you just, um, you know, have an abortion now and then or if you use contraceptives in your marriage, which are are, by the way, not first and foremost wrong because they're abortifacients. And many contraceptives are abortifacients. They do cause spontaneous abortions. There's induced abortion, which is criminal, or it was criminal at one time. It's no longer criminal because it's legal, but it's still criminal before God. It's still it, killing the innocent. But then you have this terrible crime against marriage where the Marriage Act is rendered infertile which is intrinsically evil because God is the one who made the marriage act, the conjugal embrace to be fertile, to bring forth life, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The Lord had said, and he repeated that command after the flood. He repeats that command to Noah and his sons and their wives. And to deliberately divide what God has joined together, that is love and life, the conjugal embrace and the procreation of children is intrinsically evil. By its very nature, it is evil. By its nature, because by its nature, it divides what God himself has joined together. 
When have you had a priest say, if you're using contraceptives in your marriage, this is a, a grave moral evil. And you can't be doing this and coming to communion Sunday after Sunday. You can't choose what Sundays you're going to go to Mass. And when you come to Mass on Sunday, go, go to Holy Communion. If you haven't gone to Mass every Sunday, you need to go to confession first. You can't be using God's holy name in vain. You can't be, you know, disobeying rightful authority. Now, remember, if a law is unjust, it's not rightful authority. So when the law says you can kill children, that's not a just law, and we have to fight it. We have to try and change that law. When a law says that you can kill people um, because they're inconvenient to you, because they're sick and need care, and that's happened in our country, and there's been some court battles, and there are families that have lost the court battle for one of their children because that child was married to somebody who wanted to kill off their spouse. You know, it's tragic. But these are all consequences of the contraceptive mentality that people can be a burden. Children are a burden. They demand sacrifice. They demand self-control. They demand that we don't live for our own pleasure. All of these things, and this is what God is asking of us to do, is to, to live for others, to, to give up our own pleasures, to give up our own, even our own needs sometimes, to take care of others. I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and sick and you visited me. And I hear that music again. This time just goes so fast. So we want to learn how to spend time with the Lord. We want to learn what true fasting is. And we want to come and spend time with the Lord so that we can know Him and fall in love with Him. Please let everybody know that there's a Bible study here. Ask them to join us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 16th of February. It's the first Friday in Lent. We began Lent on Ash Wednesday. This is a time of fasting and almsgiving um, prayer and fasting and almsgiving, we're, we're, we're entering into the Lord's action. We're trying to enter into and become more like Christ. Jesus fasted. And he didn't just fast for the 40 days before he began his public life. He fasted, you know, throughout his, his life. There were, he spent nights in prayer and he's, there, there were, um, you know, when you, when you're praying, praying throughout the night, you're not eating all night. So, um, you know, there's there's this this coming to the Lord and being like Him and being silent at His feet, and just being with Him. You know, it's interesting. People, they they um, was it Father a priest friend of ours told a story one time of um, this uh, uh, one of the priests of the orders canon regular of the Holy Cross. He was down in Brazil and and I don't know if it was a taxi driver or what. He was talking to this man and and and. Uh, he said something, and the man responded, and then he said, oh, so you're Catholic. And the man said, oh, yes, Father, I'm Catholic. And so then Father responds, oh, so you go to Mass every Sunday. And the man said, Father, I said I was Catholic. I didn't say I was a fanatic. It's like, what? Wait a minute. It's a fanatic to go to Mass every Sunday? Uh, mm, the first commandment, you know, no. The third commandment, was it, I, get, I always do this. 
in the, the first three commandments. First, I must honor God. Second, honor his name. Third, honor his day. So the third commandment is to keep holy the Lord's day. <laughs> so um, thank you, God, for songs. Anyway, so the deal, but the deal is, is that do we act like this? Oh, I'm not a fanatic. I'm not going to go to church every Sunday. I'll just go when I feel like going. Or I'll go, you know, once or twice a year. It's, it's interesting. Do you know that every need of our body was given to us to let us know about the needs of our soul? So the fact that we have to eat every single day, and not just once a day, three times a day for most people to, to feel healthy and, and energetic and be able to do our duty, is, is you know, usually considered a decent amount of food. Um, and so, and yet, um, we, so we do that. We feed our bodies three times a day. Uh, we have to drink water all day long. We need to bathe. Um, in our world, people think they have to take a bath every single day. And I know some people who thought they had to take a bath twice a day at certain times in their life. It was they, and it's like, wow. But, but okay, so eating. Uh, what about our soul? What feeds our soul? Well, prayer does feed our soul. But specifically, Christ feeds our soul in the Holy Eucharist with his own body, blood, soul, and divinity. And yet there are Catholics who would only go to communion once a year. And you're like, okay, would you only eat a meal once a year? Oh, no, I would starve to death. Well, what about your soul? Um, there are Catholics who only go to confession once or twice a year. You know, some go every three months. Some go, and, and if I were to say to somebody, well, you know, I'll take a bath. I took a bath last spring, and I'll, uh, I'll take one again in the fall. You know, it's yeah, a couple times a year, take a bath. That's sufficient. You know, I bathed. Um, and people would, well, well, I'm not going to go around you. You know, I can smell you coming. Um, <clears throat> what about your soul? Do you know how bad your soul smells to God? If God, you know, in, in the nostrils of God, as it were. Um, so, you know, confession is the bath of the soul. And you don't have to wait until you're dead. I mean, you could, you could, you know, you go to a doctor, you could wait till you're dead to go to a doctor and hope that he can revive you and bring you back, right? Um, that's what, if you wait until you commit a mortal sin, then your soul is dead. You've cast, you've cut the, the life, you've cut off the light lifeline to your soul if you commit mortal sin. A deliberate mortal sin cuts off the life of God in your soul. It, it shatters the image of Christ in you. And the only way to have that restored is through a sacramental confession and or a perfect contrition. But even if you make an act of perfect contrition, you still have to go to confession at the earliest possible moment. You can only have your, your mortal sins removed through, um, through the sacrament of confession. Yes, an act of perfect contrition. God can forgive you outside the sacramental system, but you're still required to confess the mortal sin. Okay? The deal is, let's not fall into mortal sin. Well, how are we going to prevent that? Well, pray every day. Let's go to Mass and Communion. Let's spend time with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, Jesus called his apostles to come, and he taught them how to pray. He spent time praying with them, and he prayed, and he showed them how to pray. And then you have Gethsemane, right, on the night that he's going, before he's going to die, his passion. And he takes them, Peter, James, and John, and he begs them to do what? Watch one hour with me. Watch one hour with me. And right now for Lent, there's the Gethsemane challenge. Um, some pro-life people have decided to ask others, and I, I pass this on to you as a, a way of spending time with our Lord and growing in relationship with him, 
to spend an hour at least, if not three hours a week with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and, and pray with him, to watch and pray with him, and specifically meditating on his passion, thinking about his passion, and to pray for an end to the scourge of induced abortion in our world, for an end to the scourge of the culture of death in all of its forms. And the culture of death is any um, aspect of human life where we see other people as objects to be used, as commodities to be bought and sold, as burdens to be um, born grudgingly or cast aside because we're tired of bearing them. All right? That's all part of the culture of death. The contraceptive mentality that children are a burden and that we can only afford to have one or two children, that's the, that's the culture of death. That's death. It's death to our souls. It's death to our world. So we need to pray. We need to turn to the Lord and we need to fast, but truly fast. Humble ourselves before God. Admit that we are sinners, that we're impatient and we're selfish and we're... Um, <laughs> We want our own will, and we don't want to give up our will in order to do God's will. So we have to beg God every day for the grace to be able to do his will. And so the needs of our body, the need to bathe, the need to eat, the need to have um, hydration, all of these reflect the needs of the soul, the need for confession, the need to go to Holy Mass and receive our Lord and Savior in Holy Communion as often as we possibly can. the need to, to pray every day. And Jesus taught us how to pray. We pray first for God's glory, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. And then we pray that he feed us with, his, with our super substantial bread, our daily bread. That's the Eucharist. We ask him to forgive our sins as we forgive others. And to lead us not into temptation, but to protect us from the evil one. That's a specific petition in the Our Father. To be protected from someone, the devil. The devil is our enemy, and he's out to take us all down. And we don't need to be afraid of him. We just need to turn to the Lord and remember to stay in the state of grace. And we, none of us can infallibly know if we're in the state of grace. Joan of Arc said, Lord, if I am not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, keep me in the state of grace. So every day we ask the Lord and we ask for the grace of final perseverance, that we would persevere in knowing, loving, and serving the Lord, that we would serve him every moment of our life, that everything in our day is oriented to the Lord. Let's not make the excuse that I only need to go to confession once or twice a year. That's like only taking a bath once or twice a year. Okay, and even those, I mean, you know, go to confession once a month. That's good. That's very good. That's what the church at least once a month, the church recommends. But again, would you only take a bath once a month? Think about it. You mean you're going to take better care of your body, your physical body, which is going to turn into dust when you die than you are of your soul, which is immortal. Eating food, eating, a, you would only eat one meal a week for those who only go to Mass and Communion on Sundays? Or you would only eat a meal once a year or twice a year at Christmas and Easter time? Those are the only two times you're going to eat? Um, you know, maybe we need to reconsider what is our priority? Are we taking greater need of our physical body, which is going to pass away? Or are we, taking, are we actually taking better care of our soul? 
We need to take better care of our soul, but we also need to respect our bodies. We shouldn't misuse our bodies. We shouldn't be filling our bodies with, with junk food or you know, food that pleases our taste buds but doesn't nourish us. Or even that, sodas and drinks that have no calories in them. They have no nutrients in them, but they please our taste buds. But they don't even hydrate us. As a matter of fact, they dehydrate us. Are we really considering what we're doing? Do we really stop and consider? What about what goes into our minds and our hearts? How much time do we spend watching movies or reading novels or magazines, worldly magazines, and you know, the internet, on our phones, watching podcasts, but what are the podcasts? We're supposed to be nourishing our minds and our hearts on the word of God, on his presence, first of all, and Jesus is really present in the blessed sacrament, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And even if you're not Catholic, I invite you to go into a Catholic church and spend time with our Lord in the blessed sacrament. Bishop Sheen pleaded with America when he had the, the when he was on the Catholic hour, back in the 1940s, I believe it was, maybe the 40s and 50s, he pleaded with America that people would pray, that everyone of every religious denomination would pray fervently for an hour every single day and for Catholics to go to Mass every day and make that a holy hour by spending, making it so that you're there for Mass but that you have a, a full hour, either going early, 15 minutes, and staying 15 minutes after Mass, or staying a half an hour after Mass, but making a full hour with our Lord every single day in the Holy Eucharist. A holy hour with our Lord every day because we need to, to be with our Lord and in touch with Him. We need to be close to Him. We need to stay close to Him. And prayer is a, supposed to be a loving conversation with Him who loves us. You know, if you love someone, do you only tell Him you love Him once or twice a year? Once a week, you know, how often is too often, you know? Well, that's what prayer is. My God, I love you. My God, I love you. We need to pray every day. We need to be serious about our prayer life. And now during Lent, we really need to step it up. And I want to thank all the radio stations who pick up our signal. I want to thank all those who support us. Um, if you want to make a donation, you can call 877-526-2151. Please share with all your family and friends that um, there's a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And don't forget to listen to the Terry and Jesse show, but also let everybody know about Bible with the Barbers, please. And pass it on. Listen on the app. Have your friends and families tune in. We do have a Bible study. And even though I can't do my Bible study here weekly at the chapel, I do it here. So Please turn in and listen and share this with everyone you know. And please keep us in prayer. Thank you, those of you who pray with us and pray for us and offer your sacrifices and your sufferings for us. This is Lent. Let us pray together for the triumph of the Lord and that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Amen. <laughs>